Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! And welcome to One Step Beyond, a show that encourages you to take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. I'm Tony Fletcher, this is episode 19, and it's the second of a two-parter about new beginnings for the new year. You had a smile. The first part? Episode 18 featured Adam Fletcher, yes, he's my nephew, who after four stints volunteering on the island of Samos, Samos, amongst refugees and asylum seekers, has decided to return to college to become a doctor so that he can work full-time in this field. And this at the age of 31. Life is long, he pointed out. There's time to make these career changes. And then on this episode, I talked to David Watts Barton. That's his music you can hear in the background. Answer, girl. But making music is just a small part of David's creative output. David is a veteran journalist, a committed traveller, a burner, we'll define that in a minute, and a relentless optimist, which is how and why he ended up moving home cities, countries and continents in the middle of a pandemic. The two calls were conducted one after each other on New Year's Eve, and the common themes include both that there is a big, beautiful world out there to explore, and that it is never too early, and certainly never too late, to change up your life situation to make the most of it. I don't know about your New Year's resolutions, I've got one of them to make these introductions shorter. So with that, I'll say check back in with me afterwards for further updates and news. In the meantime, lean back or step forward and prepare to go. Hi, David Watts Barton. Welcome. How are you doing? Hi, Tony Fletcher. I'm very well. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. You're going to be celebrating it earlier than me, I guess, because you're further ahead than me. Where Where am I finding you here? I'm in Berlin, so we're uh, six hours ahead of New York time. I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself, who you are, roughly how old you are. You can be precise. You can be vague. Um, and the multitude of interesting ventures you've done over the years that you've 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 been around. <laughs> <laughs> I have been around. Um, I am. I'm. I'm not. Uh, I used to hesitate to say it, but now it's like once. Once you're older than sixty, you know, it's just you can't pretend anymore. I'm sixty-four, and um, I'm having way more fun than Paul McCartney led me to think I was going to have. And um, I am from Sacramento, California. I moved about ten years ago to New York after the whole housing collapse, and I lost my house and I lost my job, and I was just like. I'm out of here. And so I moved to New York. I was in New York for five years and um, had a wonderful time, did a one-man show while I was in New York, um, started working on this project that I'm still working, this other project I'm still working on, actually two projects, uh, made a lot of good friends. And um, then about five years ago, a relationship broke up. And so I decided that I want to travel. And so I just started traveling and I traveled for the last five years. Um, but then it made me realize after five years that I didn't have a home, you know, and I was like, 
I think I'm ready to have a home for a while. And, um, and honestly, I, the, the only place that I really thought I wanted to be a, uh, make a home was Berlin. I've been, uh, been, been, been to Berlin five times and I was just like, I love Berlin. It just, it fits me. It's like a good combination between the sort of international intense thing of New York, but not that intense and the sort of laid back, super funky California thing. So it's, and, and they, and then it's its own, it's its own place for sure. So I decided to uh, head to uh, Berlin in the middle of COVID. That's going to be a really interesting journey to talk about. But tell me some of what you've done professionally uh, over the years that have allowed you to to bounce around like this. Um, well, I started off, I've been a, a writer my whole life. I got paid for my first uh, freelance story when I was 16 years old, and I just kept going. So that's been, I'm coming up on 50 years as a professional writer. Um, and I worked for a long time for the Sacramento Bee in California. Uh, I was the, the first actual pop music critic there, full-time pop music critic which I'd done before that. I wrote for Tower Pulse. If you remember, Tower Records put out a magazine. I was their uh, pop music editor before I went over to the B. And I worked there for about 25 years. And then um, after Burning Man in 2007, I decided I actually took a copy of the newspaper to Burning Man with me. And after, at the night of the burn, I rode my bicycle around the fire and I threw the paper in the fire and said, I'm ready for what's, what comes next. And my first day back from Burning Man at work, they tra had transferred me from being the outdoor entertainment writer, or outdoor, I said outdoor entertainment, outdoor recreation writer, to being in a, a suburban bureau as just a general re reporter. And so I said, oh, okay, are you sure? And they were like, yeah, we have to, because everything was cutting down. And I was like, okay, so I, I got to go. So I quit. <laughs> and then I ended up uh, working for being editor-in-chief, actually, of a small online publication called uh, Sacramento Press that was like a hyper-local citizen journalism hybrid. So I did that for about three years. That was very interesting. And then I worked for um, NPR affiliated Sacramento, hosted a radio show there called Insight. I, I While I was working all that time, I invested in my 401k and I got a pension. And so so I'm able to, to have some flexibility there, do things that I want to do rather than just constantly grinding it out, which I don't know how people do it. You're looking at one of them. <laughs> it's interesting. So you actually uh, took the path of uh, the, the, the corporate work because it is corporate. If you get a 401k, however big or small the company, it's sort of corporate. So you took the path of that, which, which actually paid off and has allowed you to, to have a lot more freedom. That's why I was ready to quit when they said, you know, we want you to do something you don't want to do. I was already, like I said, I'd thrown the paper in the fire at Burning Man and said I wanted something new. And boom, I got it. The, next day practically so burning man is uh we've got lots of intersections you and me david but burning man is one of them and i i, I know the journey from sacramento to burning man it's the nearest uh, city apart from reno i guess it's the nearest californian city yeah. a lot of people come from sacramento but you just mentioned 2007 that was my first year at burning oh, really? man. oh wow that was a good year that was with uh, the the giant explosion of uh of, the oil uh, derrick crude awakening yeah that's yeah. still the biggest thing i've ever seen in my entire life I don't know if Crude Awakening was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, but it was certainly the hottest. My oldest son, he doesn't get much of a shout out here because he's grown up now, but hi Campbell. He was 11 that year that we first went to Burning Man and he and I got front row seats for the uh, Crude Awakening explosion, meaning we staked a place behind the line on the ground in the desert and the fireball that went up literally singed my eyebrows. 
On this call, David told me that apparently the distance was 900 meters to the line we were sat at. So it gives you some kind of an idea of what was taking place. It might take me a little longer to explain Crude Awakening in more detail and why it was necessary to set fire to it in the first place. So I'll put a link to my various blog posts about Burning Man in the show notes. Or alternatively, just go on YouTube, type in Crude Awakening Burning Man 2007 and uh, step back in case it singes your eyebrows too. I've I've thought about doing a show that focuses more on on Burning Man. It was a life changer for me. Can you? I'm going to give you the chance to just say why why people should give a damn about Burning Man. Um, for me, it's just it, it boils down to two things, which is the place, which is just extraordinary. There's like you're on a blank canvas in the middle of nowhere, and the the, the lowest humidity you've ever experienced in your life, and um, and then all these people just creating on top of it. And then just the people, you know, I mean, the the people that I've met there, like you said, you meet people who are friends for life. You also meet people who you have these incredible, incredibly intimate moments with and you never see again. And people are really open and exposed and sometimes really raw. Plus, you know, amazing art. And, and if you like to party, it's a lot of fun that way. And, um, People are just people are more open. It's it's a different kind of vibe than you get in certainly in New York City or Berlin or Sacramento or any other place like that. I don't think I would have gone and taken a year off to travel around the world with 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 a wife and kid backpacking had I not been through Burning Man. Burning Man sets you up to deal with challenges. Um, it, it sets you up to deal with nothing, with being dirty, with being hungry, and it sets you up to expect the unexpected. In a year like twenty twenty. The, the 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 expression hey it's burning man which is a sort of shrugging things off because nothing has gone as you planned for it to go is actually you know you've been through a lot of that it really it really helps when your year is full of one event after another being cancelled and you have to have alternate plans i was going to say i think that probably burners like serious burners have probably done fairly well this year stuff happens and you just kind of go okay so adjust try something else how and and I guess you maybe gave me the why already. So how does somebody up and move continents in a COVID year? And there is still there is still a why. You gave me the personal reason. Hey, I love Berlin. Well, you know, I love New York City. I, I fell in love with New York City and moved to it, but I didn't move to it in the middle of a global pandemic. Well, um, I've been traveling for the last five years, and so my my basic life was bouncing between. Northern California, Portland, Washington, or um, New York, Berlin, uh, Japan, and Istanbul. And so I would just like, and Burning Man. So that was sort of my path through the years. I would bounce between these places. And I'd go to Vietnam for a while, or I'd go to Korea, or I'd go, you know, Italy a lot. Um, But I was basically maybe two months in one place, and then I was like, I'm out. And, um, And so after five months in Sacramento, I was like, this is going to be going on for a while. And, you know, I've been pretty on top of it as far as, you know, paying attention to masks and distancing and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I'm not going to just stop living my life. And I want to start my life up again. So I went to New York and I got to New York and it was just, it was desolate. I literally have pictures from uh, Penn Station, which is one of my least favorite places in the entire world. Seconded. It it was, 
empty. There were literally hardly any people in Penn Station on a Saturday morning. So it was just like that. And I would get on the subway and there would be one other person in a car or maybe no people in a car at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon. It was just spooky. So I went around, visited some people, saw some friends. And then I was like, you know, where, where do I want to be? And, and I was actually with a friend and we were talking and I just, I just hit me. It's like Berlin. I got to go to Berlin. There's nowhere else. It was so clear. It was like, there's nowhere else for me to go. There's nowhere else for me to go. Berlin is like the only place. And I really also, um, as a traveler, I knew I was going to start traveling again. As a traveler, it's really hard to only be able to come to, to Europe for three months and then to have to leave for essentially six months. Maybe you can get away with five months, but you really have to be gone for a long time. And I thought, you know what? I want to get settled in Europe again. I want to be able to travel around and see my friends in Europe and see places in Europe I haven't seen. And the way to do that is to get uh, a long-term residency. So, And so do you have to apply for a particular residency? Do you have to prove your merit? That, and, and also, what was the, uh, the German government and the European Union uh, like in terms of people coming over from America in the middle of COVID? So I, I started looking into it. And one of the beautiful things, there, there are two, if you want to move to the EU, there are two places that you can focus on. One is Berlin, not Germany, but Berlin. And the other one is Portugal. Um, and they're both much easier for Americans to get to get residency in. But before that, that's the next, that's the second step. The first step was getting in because at the time, Everybody, you know, Americans were blocked from coming into the Schengen area, which is the 27 EU countries that share open borders. Um, but I also kind of figured it's like this is something you learn at Burning Man, too, I think. And also traveling a lot. It's like, you know, things are different on the ground than they are when you're reading the German government's website or some travel, some article in Travel and Leisure or in The New York Times that's telling you what you can and can't do when you actually are on the ground and you actually go to the place and interact with people there, it's a whole different game. Um, I did get do a lot of paperwork before. I got letters of recommendation from another a number of people who I'd interacted with in, uh, in Berlin, um, offering me uh, uh, work, offering me uh, a place to quarantine. I went and got a quick test, so I had a negative test. And then I also planned my flight to arrive at about midnight on a Sunday night at Tegel. And so when I arrived, it was these two young guys in the booth. And I said, hey, look, I have these papers and I have this and I have a COVID test. And I just kind of hit them with all this stuff. And they called their supervisor over and the supervisor was kind of like, OK. And they were all kind of and I think they finally just got to the point where it's like, well, the guy's here. So. It sounds like you bombarded them with paperwork, like, hey, guys, I know more about this than you. And I mean, that's also a process. If you handle it right and politely, you, that's that's a process that can work. It's like, hey, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And and uh, hopefully, hopefully you're telling the truth. But at a certain point, you're 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 conf you know, confusing them with science. <laughs> Germans love paperwork. If you have a lot of like I just got three things today in the mail that are like, oh, first of all, I have to translate, have them translated. But also they're just like, they, you know, you need this form and this form and this form. And I just had an encounter two days ago where I went to do something and it's like, no, you need this form and this form. And it, they're just really into paperwork. So I sort of hit them up with a lot of paperwork. Um, and then I also planned, as soon as I got here, I got a place right away and registered with the, the local, um, air, the local, area in, in Berlin, because that's the first thing you have to do to get everything 
in, in along with the whole paperwork thing is you get it's called an Enmeldung and you get it at the Bergeramt and you go and you show them your paperwork and you show them your lease. And I got a short term lease with this. Uh, it's basically just an Airbnb, but I'm still there. And um, uh, so then you get that and then you start filing. And so what I filed for is what makes Berlin a beautiful thing. And you can't even get this in the rest of Germany. It's just Berlin. And it's one of the reasons why Berlin is so awesome, which is that they have a visa for artists and freelancers. But it's a, there's a little bit of a distinction, but you can get the same visa for either one. And so it's just a, it took me about three months. I, I, I got here on August 10th and I got my three year visa on November 4th, no, November 2nd, two days, two days before the or one day before the election. As I remarked to David, he's written some really good posts on Facebook this year both about the American political scene, as observed from his new home in Berlin, and also about the journey that took him from Sacramento to New York to the capital of the reunified Germany this year. And the reason I mention the reunification is I've only been to Germany twice. The first time was in 2000 for the Love Parade. And at that time, Germany was in the middle of moving the seat of government back to Berlin. Uh, the whole city was full of cranes. There was this sense that even 10, 11 years after the Berlin Wall had come down, that the city was ripe for exploration. It was inexpensive and people were flocking there from New York, from other places. I've had other friends move there. I got to go back again just a few years later on business just for about 24 hours or so. Again, it felt really, really special. There was a part of me that felt if you were going to move there at any time, that was already the time. But that's to kind of get selfish about it and ignore Berlin's incredibly long and storied history as a capital of culture and art and intellectual thinking. And that is not to deny its place at the heart of darkness in the middle of the 20th century. But even during the Cold War years, uh, where Berlin was effectively cut off from the rest of Germany, well, West Berlin was, it was still seen as a very, very, very special place. It has something that just certain cities have, and uh, there are always a multitude of reasons for that. I mean, these things always, to me, boil down to the people. It's like, who are the people? Like, I love New York because of the people. I didn't love San Francisco because of the people. Um, I love Burning Man because of the people. And Berlin is very international. In fact, you can get by without even speaking German in Berlin if you want to, particularly in areas like Kreuzberg and Mitte and some of the central central areas, Schöneberg. And, um, um, and I've, I've just met a lot of people, um, uh, writers. It's, it's a very creative town. I mean, you meet a lot of interesting people. And for me, that's the whole deal. That's why I do anything is because I want to meet interesting people. I mean, it's why I was a journalist. Uh, it's why I traveled so much. Uh, it's why I moved to New York. And it's why I moved to Berlin. They're just really interesting people. The other thing is that Berlin is like the best bicycle town. I mean, I haven't been to Amsterdam for a long time. Um, I have a friend who lives in Bogota. He said, that's a fantastic bike town. But as far as I'm concerned, I can't imagine a better bike town than, than Berlin. As it happens, I've been to Bogota. It's actually the last new place I went to all of a solid two years ago now. You may remember on an earlier episode of this show, I interviewed my friend Rick Dragon, who moved down from my current home city of Kingston to Bogota and has subsequently opened an art colony 
uh, an hour or two outside of the city. Bogota is home to something called Ciclovia. It's the originator of this concept whereby the main arteries of the city are closed every Sunday to road traffic and left open instead for bicycle traffic. And it's estimated a million or two million people come out and ride their bikes around all day. But that's a temporary thing once a week. And I wouldn't say the rest of the time I was there, it struck me as a bike capital. But my conversation with David inspired me to check in on another friend who moved to Berlin about a decade back or so at least. Uh, he's a South Londoner I knew from New York City. He has uh, Cycling West as his Twitter handle and he confirmed that Berlin is a great city for cyclists. For one thing, it's flat. And for another, they have bike lanes and bike lights for everything. In fact, you sort of take your life in your hands if you go out of the bike lanes. <laughs> um, and also, I had an experience yesterday. I was like, it was it was sunny, which is really unusual this time of year. And so I was like, I got to get out of here. I've been on the computer all day. And I got on my bike and I wanted to ride out to Grunewald, which is this huge forest, which is another thing about Berlin that's wonderful is that there's a ton of green space. There are parks everywhere and everything is super funky. Like you go into even these parks that are nice neighborhoods and all the paths are dirt. I mean, you get cobblestone here and there, but Berlin's actually, Germany's a rich country. Berlin's a poor city. Um, they, they say Berlin is um, sexy but poor. And uh, they don't have a lot of money to take. The average income here is relatively low. And so um, they a, a lot of stuff is just very funky here still. It's like parts of it are very dirty. Kreuzberg is like the amount of trash that you see is like it's like being in Tijuana or something. It's really strange. And then other areas are really beautiful. It's like Paris. And, uh, and also all of these different areas are actually cities. They're, Berlin is actually made up of 12 different towns that are all kind of grew together. And um, so you hear like Schoenberg and Wilmersdorf and Charlottenburg and Mitte and Wedding and uh, Kreuzberg, Neukölln, Friedrichshain. There's all these different areas. And they're just very, it's very, it's very free. There's nude sunbathing in the middle of the city. Um, there are lakes all around Berlin. So in the summer, you can ride your bike or take the subway, the U-Bahn or the S-Bahn out to these lakes and go swimming. Some of the lakes are nude swimming. And it's just and it's just a lot of people. Also, Berliners really like being uh, outside and in nature. So I went out yesterday, I went to the Grunwald. It was packed with people. Packed. It sounds like it worked out. And I'm actually, I am looking at one of the things that you posted earlier this year, um, maybe it may have been at Thanksgiving, uh, because you said that in terms of making this move, you know, I've ended up far from where I started the year and not just geographically. But then you say more to the point, I'm not alone. I've seen a lot of people do that this year, taking it as a challenge, doing all sorts of positive, even profitable things, making some delicious lemonade from this biggest of lemons, which I thought was a very, very good way of yeah, 2020, and we're talking on the last day of this year. Yeah, it's been horrendous, um, especially if you've caught COVID, lost somebody to COVID, if it's it, it put you out of work. Um, and as a result, you know, 2020 has allowed for some other things to happen. And I, um, there have been good things to come out of this. And at your end, I guess you, you saw it as well. What better time to move countries and continents than in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, no. I mean, number one, no time like the present. You know, if you if you're inspired to do something, just go do it. You know, I, I'm well aware of my advantages, uh, and as I always have been, I, I'm I'm not somebody who um, 
is unaware of my advantages in life. And I've done my best to take advantage of them because that's what you do with advantages. Um, and I also have this, this fixed income that's not very much, but if I can sort of manage my manage things, then it, it can work out. Uh, if I keep my, my, uh, my needs and my profile relatively low, um, it works out. I get by month to month. I have friends who, like I have my friend here who offered me his place to quarantine and wrote a letter in German. And actually, a, a note on that, which I want to, uh, I'm actually very, like COVID is more real for me right now than it has been all year because he's in the ICU on oxygen and um, I'm very worried about him right now. So, um and just to interject at this point, David subsequently informed me his friend has made something of a recovery. When I got here in August, it was like there wasn't any COVID. Like people were getting together, hanging out, hooking up, going to parties, all this stuff until really until late October. It was fine. You didn't even think about it. It was really liberating. And but also people let their guard down. And so, you know, we have it's nothing like in the States, but it's still bad, you know. Yeah, we're all we're all really we we we've got to hunker down. We got months to hunker down. But you mentioned at the beginning and um, about the two of a couple of projects you're on, and uh, both of them are if if they're the ones I'm thinking of are things I'm fascinated by. So tell me about uh, what you've been working on this past year, and and in particular what you have coming out in 2021. Um, uh, the one that I was finishing up today is um, a, a, pro a music project that I started literally like 15 years ago. And it was going to be a book. And then I had an agent in New York and he couldn't sell it. And I finally, last year, I thought, I have done so much work. I've done so much writing on this thing that I'm going to post it as a website. And so it's about the year 1967 in music and culture. It's like the world went from the end of 1966, which was still basically black and white, to... January of 68. And that those 12 months in between was an explosion like we've never seen before. And and not just music, but just music alone. It was like debuts of The Doors, uh, Jefferson Airplane with Grace Slick, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, um, uh, uh, Velvet Underground, um, Fleetwood Mac. Um, and there were huge things like Thurgood Marshall became the first uh, black Supreme Court justice. Um, uh, the, the the law in the United States against interracial marriage that was still illegal in 16 states was struck down by the Supreme Court. But the problem with it is, is that trying to put it into some kind of coherent shape has been this uh, epic journey. Um, but now I, as of today, as of actually, I have one more week to go up uh, after we get off. Um, I will have all, all 52 weeks of the year up on this website. And it basically goes through week by week and they're sort of organized thematically, but they're also pretty well connected to the calendar because I wanted to keep a sense of experiencing in, in real time kind of thing. So today I'm done with getting it up online. So that's number one. <laughs> the standalone site is called music1967.com and it is truly thoroughly recommended. We don't often talk about music actually on this show, but it's a wonderful way of, as David says, seeing not just the musical events of that year, but putting them in context of the bigger social events that were happening around them, which is actually the kind of writing that I love. The second story alone just follows Pete Townsend while he's tripping on acid as the Who play a New Year's Eve show with Pink Floyd supporting. 
and manages to introduce Jimi Hendrix to London in that chapter, etc. A couple of weeks later, he's talking about Aretha Franklin's first recording session for Atlantic Records in Muscle Shoals. All of it is the kind of stuff that I love, thoroughly recommend it, and maybe one day it will become, indeed, a proper book. But talking of books, dot, dot, dot. Yes, and then I also have a book coming out in March, which is something else I've been working on for, for a number of years. I got connected with Japan through a, a close uh, friend in New York and uh, started writing for a website there about different aspects of Japanese culture, mostly more traditional things, but also um, history, food. I just started writing about all these things. And after I'd been doing it and I had like 80 posts, I thought, this is a book. So I, again, took all the stuff, reorganized it into a book form in five different parts and sold it to a publisher in Berkeley called uh, Stonebridge Press. And, uh, but it's called Japan from Anime to Zen. And it's just quick takes on different aspects of culture and food and history and people and just ideas. So I was enjoying reading what I read um, because it's new to me. It's still somewhat alien. And I, I particularly, I mean, you've only put a few posts up on the website and that makes on your website and that makes sense because you've got a book to sell, but I've, I've made a note of onsen and then I can't actually remember what it is. So I'm going to use that one example. So tell me about onsen as, a, as just as a quick sample of what you have in the book. Onsen are uh, hot springs. So there are onsen all over because Japan is, is very volcanic. And so there are hot springs all over Japan. And it's, there's a whole culture around that and how you bathe and bathing before you go into the onsen. And uh, you sit with a towel on your head. You don't put it on the side. You keep it on your head. And, um, and the, the, just the, the manners and the, the things that you learn how to do. I mean, the one thing in, in Japan is that they have what they call kata which is basically means the way or the way of doing things. And they have kata for everything. And bowing is one thing. How you behave in an onsen is another thing. How you hold your chopsticks, what you do with your chopsticks, what you don't do with your chopsticks. All these things are guided by very clear rules. And it's funny because Japan for me is like, I'm, I'm a Californian and I'm actually a pretty free Californian at that. So I don't, for me, rules and regulations are very optional, <laughs> let's put it that way. Whereas in Japan, it's like, they're not. Uh, it, they give you some space because as, as, a, uh, as a gaijin man, you are, you know, they, they feel sorry for you. You're not Japanese, you don't know what the hell you're doing. So you get a lot of leeway that way, but they still have a very strong in how you do things. Germany too. There are a lot of rules about how you're supposed to do that and the other thing, even in Berlin, which is a very free city. I, yeah, and you also, I, I, I learned something, you know, just, just one of the few posts you put up about geishas, um, and, it's, and, and they did not start out as geisha girls. So, I mean, I actually learned something there. And I like the idea of it. I haven't seen the book, but the finished book, but I like the idea that if one was to travel to, to Japan, yeah, this year, next year, it's the kind of book you can put in one pocket while you've maybe got a, you know, a map, you know, a map with a guide to, you know, your local eateries in the other pocket. So that it's not a guidebook in terms of here's where you find something, but it is sort of a guide to Japanese culture and tradition and what certain things mean, um, which is great because there's always the challenge is always ultimately, I think, to find a new way to talk about things. You know, 1967 has been written about. You're not the first. But you you know you found a way to do it, and Japan's been written about. You're not the first. You found a way to do it. I think that's what many of us are 
are trying to do. There aren't too many original ideas out there. We're all just like adapting and trying to build a better mousetrap, I guess. I've had so much fun talking with you, David. Um, you know, you're you're a good shining example of how even at the age of 64, you know, you can just make make those life changes and and they they they're gonna work out if you if you believe they're gonna work out, they're gonna work out, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it is having the vision and just keeping on and and not letting other people dissuade you from it or let other people tell you that you can't do it. You had a smile. You can find David at davidwattsbarton.com from where you can be linked to music1967.com and also read some excerpts from his forthcoming book, Japan, from anime to Zen. David's also released one album on Spotify and uh, he lost the MP3 files for that somewhere in the midst of his traveling. So he sent me a brand new song he's written called Memory Girl. That's the one that you've been hearing through this show. And I can definitely discern some lyrics that refer to Burning Man. Personally, I'm really happy to add David to the list of great people that I've met and conversed with through this show, and I wish him the best of luck with his new life in Berlin, although I imagine it won't be too long before he pops up somewhere else, if only in the short term. Then it was gone just like it was a dream, built out of joy. Given that this episode is following on so quickly, just a week later from the previous one, I don't have too many personal updates to offer this time round. I'm not sure anybody cares about them anyway, but I like detailing a little bit of my outdoor life, especially as there's no travel life to talk about for the moment. The one thing I did want to talk about is a follow-up on a couple of episodes we did about footwear. Back on episode 8, I talked to Nava Assembo, the co-founder and CEO of Ender Sportswear, Kenya, indeed all of Africa's first performance running shoe company and an incredibly environmentally and socially conscious company at that. I ended up with a pair of their E10s. They only make two shoes. I got the E10s. They felt a little tight for me at the time. I, in fact, they ran small and I had to get a replacement pair. And they aren't zero drop either, which is how I like my shoes to be, i.e. flat. And then a couple of episodes later, I went out running with a guy called Bill Hoffman in Luna sandals, which are the completely open sandals uh, as favoured by the Tarahumara Indians down in Mexico, the stars of the book Born to Run. And I ended up buying a pair of Luna sandals as well. And I am going to level with you here and tell you, that the lunars did not work out for me. I could not get them to fit properly. I just couldn't get the lace to feel comfortable in the front or the strap to feel comfortable in the back. My feet were coming home like really dirty. I couldn't get them clean. I didn't feel like I was running any better or any happier. Um, so I took advantage of lunars, no questions asked, 30 days return policy. That left me kind of stuck with the enders for the time being. Now, if you remember a couple of episodes back, if you can persist with all of this, I ran a really, really good marathon in Albany. I was lucky to run a marathon in Albany in a COVID year, but it was pulled off. I had a great run and my time was 
pretty fast. I was only five minutes off what would normally have been a Boston qualifying time. I was completely pain-free, and I have to give a lot of credit in retrospect to those Ender E10s. They ended up molding to my feet. I ended up running fast in them. That four millimeter heel to toe drop really has stopped being any kind of a, an issue. And I just want to come on and say, I think they nailed it. One Step Beyond is written, produced and narrated by Tony Fletcher. Incidental music is by Noel Fletcher, unless otherwise stated. The theme song is by Madness, used with permission, and the logo is by Mark Lerner. Special thanks to Radio Kingston for airing these episodes and for supplying studio space when not under lockdown. If you like what you hear, please consider throwing us a tip via the Support This Show button on your phone or by visiting supporter.acast.com slash one step beyond lowercase. You can also hit the subscribe button and or leave a positive rating and or review. It all helps. One Step Beyond is on social media, mainly on Instagram. Just search One Step Beyond with Tony Fletcher there or on Facebook and Twitter and we should come up straight away. To subscribe to a newsletter, to reach out via email and especially if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, the address is onestepbeyond at ijamming.net. One Step Beyond is available on just about every podcast platform known to man and most likely a few that have yet to be discovered. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy and stay active. <laughs>